Hello everyone and welcome to the Racing Minds podcast. Racing Minds is a charitable organisation and our mission is to provide a positive, exciting and supportive safe space environment for blue light services, military personnel, veterans and individuals that are battling with mental health problems. To support their recovery, help improve their mental state through motorsport experiences and to raise awareness of mental health. The Racing Minds podcast is focused on delivering inspirational, interesting stories from within the racing community, using motorsport as our medium to raise awareness of mental health. As always, guys, thanks for the support and enjoy this episode. Right, we're just, we're just going to get rolling now, mate. Yeah. Nathan Freak, Century Motorsport, welcome to the Racing Minds podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll cheers first, mate. Because, cheers. Yeah, we're going to get on it. So, obviously, we ran together last year. For my year in Ginetta Super Cup, saw the way you guys did business. Massive fan of Century Motorsport. I think your phrase is, if you cut me, I'd bleed Century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excited to get you on. Obviously, exciting news about you're going to support Racing Minds as the kind of de facto race team that we can go to and, and, and kind of spend time with in the paddocks, which is awesome. So thank you for that. But really, just wanted to have a, um, a sit-down chat with you and kind of get to know you a little bit, find out a little bit more about mm-hmm. Century Motorsport. And So why don't we start with, where does the name come from? There is logic behind it. So Century was started uh, back in 1995, stroke six, around then, as a way to help pay for my racing. And um, back then we raced in a class called TKM, Junior TKM to be precise. My dad was building engines and the engines happened to be 100cc. So Century Motorsport is stemmed from rebuilding 100cc engines. I like that. So it's a bit of a play on words. Not really very relevant now, but... I like that, it's got history to it. With us, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there is there is a story behind it. You're a successful carter, aren't you? Yeah, very actually. A lot of my career is... I'm not really a superstitious person, but I would say there's certain elements of my career where if we hadn't gone down that path, I probably wouldn't even be in the sport right now. When I first started out, I was crap, <laughs> basically. <laughs> You know, within a year we were going to quit, but we were on such a rare cart, probably one of one in the country, which was known to be pretty rubbish. You know, the guy who who was taking over that brand said, no, you know, if you quit, it will be sad. You know, at least give the kid a go in a, a yeah. cart, which is a known entity, and then the rest is history. <laughs> what did you do in carts? Like, what kind of championships did you race in? Super 1 Series, Junior, TKM, did well. Finished 12th in 97 and 10th in 90. Eight, but yeah. I had to miss around with food poisoning in 98. 98 was our year really to win it. We were probably one of the favourites and as I say we missed around for food poisoning. And kind of put you in the back yeah, for straight away. Yeah, to recover from that and, and yeah. fullback, which isn't probably too far from here actually. No, just down the road. <laughs> um, was a real bogey circuit for me so that oh, was the I love one. fullback. We were, I just couldn't drive it. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what it was. But it was like I'd win everywhere else and fullback I'd be at the back. So yeah, that, that was our year. Then we, we went to seniors. Then we took a little bit of a different route we went to Gearbox Carts. Yeah. Did that Super 4 series, which is the equivalent of Super 1. Finished fourth twice and then second. I think I lost out by one point. Then we moved to some long circuit stuff. Won pretty much everything you could win in that, actually, which was cool. A serious stuff. Uh, yeah. So it had a good, good cutting sort of history, really, and sort of by, by accident fell into cars, which was a bit of a random one. We never started out having a goal of. I want to be an F1 driver or I want to be a professional driver. It was just, I was obsessed with motorsport, cars. We just went on this journey and it sort of, it, the path formed itself really. Yeah, yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah. The other day we were at, where was it? Snetterton. I was doing a bit of coaching at Snetterton and the supercar guys were there 
and like you get accustomed to hearing everyone go through turn one don't you we were hearing all the GT4 cars and the GT3 cars going. It's like a solid, like, whoa, and then brakes and then downshift or downshift two or maybe even three. And then, like, supercars went out and it's like, and you're like, that can't be turn one. Yeah. And it was it's exactly what it was. There's no lifting. Yeah. Like, or if it was a lift, I couldn't tell. It was just like, and it was chatting to some of the guys afterwards. They're all, like, mega, mega blokes. You just think, Jesus Christ, like, balls of steel. It's weird. I mean, obviously, I've not been involved in karting since 2008 now. I kind of fell out of love with it for various reasons. But at the time I was doing gearbox karting, it was seen as a bit of a pikey route, <laughs> for want of a better word. And that's no disrespect to it because I love them to pieces. So, yeah. you know, these guys, are, the machinery is unbelievably fast. And we just had the time of our lives. We loved it. And I'm happy to see now that it's less, it's given a lot more credit than it used, yeah, to, yeah, than it used to get because it deserves it. The long circuit stuff. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, man, like, Cadwell Park in a 250 is, like, mind-blowing. It's like Nürburgring. Oh, who was it was telling me? Isn't it? Isn't a 250, a 250 supercar around Cadwell? It's, like, quicker than a superbike. I mean, right? probably. The 250 twins, they're absolute missiles. You, you'd struggle to beat it around a circuit like that. Even, even I think, places like Snap, the old Snap, this is. You know, we'd be as fast as an F3 car around there. Jesus. Um, obviously, you lack a bit on the straights, but it's just the cornering speed and yeah. you stop on a six punts. It's good. Yeah, I, I loved it. I loved my time doing it and had a lot of success and yeah. made a lot of friends. Do you ever see one go around and you just think, uh, quite like a test again or something like yeah, that? I, yeah, I, I do. I mean, it's funny, actually. A lot of the guys who I raced against, and this is 15 years ago now, they're still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I keep up to speed with, with what they do and I do, you know, I do think sometimes, you see someone on board the gauge and you think, yeah, I'll be <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But but I have to say the car stuff that I've done and that we do now is oh, it just beats everything. Yeah. Um, I don't look back and with with, with rose tinted glasses on karting. It's I, I'm I'm happy with where we've moved to. Yeah, yeah. So from from karts, what did you what did you get up to from there? So <coughs> century was going quite well. You know, I left school at sixteen, two thousand, and was full time in that. My old man, for those who know him, you know, he's. He's got his finger on the pulse and a lot of things, and he's always on online. He's always sending me links. Like, look at this, look at that. Anyway, whatever it probably was, race cars direct back in the day. Some guy put a, an advert on saying, I've got a Formula Ford and I want to swap it for a car. You know, it was immaculate, and it was a little bit, this is too good to be true. For, for a go kart. For a go kart. Oh, Jesus. Which, of course, we sold at the time. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, oh, I happen to have one of those. <laughs> As uh, it happens. Yeah. So dad got in touch with the guy and said, you know, what, what's the deal then? What's the catch? Because no, there is no catch. I want a cart and I want a trolley. In exchange, I'll give you a Formula Ford. I've meticulously restored, and that's it, really. Yeah, Jesus, okay. where's the catch? <laughs> ripped, ripped his arm off, so we <laughs> yeah. travelled down. And actually, the cart we gave him was Paul Arista's uh, ex championship winning top cart, which I have to say was probably the best cart I ever drove in my life, and regretted giving that one away mm. because at the time we were still racing carts. We got this Formula Ford, and again, similar to the car, it was a pup, um, but it was a Jayman, and no one raced it. So Tony Monday, who owned Jayman, straight away heard about it. He's like, he's in touch with us and really, really, really lovely bloke, a lovely family. In fact, we took it out to Mallory Park and it was, it was pretty poor. And to top it off, we were slow, to top it off, we were like, oh, the engine must be rubbish, you know, so we took it all out and, and gave it to a local engine builder. He said, the engine is better than nine bob note. <laughs> so by the time we put the car back legal, it was, it was even, even slower. slower. <laughs> anyway, we did a couple of races, like Mallory Park, did a plum pudding, which is 26th of November. Just had a bit of fun. And again, it wasn't, wasn't really going anywhere. We were doing okay dragging this car around. And this guy got in touch with us 
I don't know, can't remember how, maybe dad looked for someone, you know, a manager. Hmm. And they said, we've got a sponsor, you know, we can probably get more out of them, but we've got 10 grand. Can you do something with it? And we were like, yeah, we can do the Castle Kim Formula 4 Championship. So of course, sold this sponsor the dream. Nathan's the best driver ever. Got this whole career in front of him. <laughs> Turn up at Castle Kim. I'm not laughing in disrespect. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what everyone does, let's yeah. face it. Super successful Carter. Turned up at Castle Kim. I'm getting like mullered. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the biggest power track. You're like, please stay, guys. Don't leave. Yeah. Please stay. <laughs> and we did round one. And they were an ISP provider. new company called UNET. Lovely people. They recently found a lot of success in their business. And they want to be branded the UK's fastest broadband provider. So they sponsored a race car. They sponsored an aerobatic plane, mm. and they sponsored a yacht on the Global Yacht Challenge. So all speed stuff. Yeah. Anyway, there's us rolling around like mid-pack in Bournemouth Ford at Castle Coombe, and we came away, and we sort of, you know, I said, well, probably Dad really said, we're going to lose these if we don't do something, because we're, we're just nowhere. And Tony Monday, the guy on Jamin, said, look, you're just wasting your time with this car. Honestly, you need to get rid of it. I just know of another car, another Jamin, you know, an old boy's got, Dave Connor. He let Lil let it go, just just get it. And we sort of rolled the dice on it and went from mid-pack to, to right at the front. Straight away? Straight, instantly. Jesus. I mean, it was like it was like driving a Citroen 2CV to a Ferrari. <laughs> um, well, I know that feeling, actually, because that's what I was like last year. Jeez, <laughs> like... <laughs> so, um, so that was cool. Even, even then, the car wasn't really as... It wasn't a Van Diemen, but... But because we were in this Jamin, had the focus, and Jamin Racing at the time were our biggest Formula 4 team ever, had this attention from those guys, and they were trying to help. And, well, because um, you were like the only Jamin yeah. kind of in the grid. Yeah, yeah. So, so so Tony, who who is the dad of Jamin, James Mundy, you know, and James ran the Formula, National Formula 4 team, Tony was saying to James, this kid's got a bit of talent, you know, he's, he's someone we need to keep an eye on. In Formula 4, you have big trophy races at the end of the year, you have the Walter Hayes trophy, yeah, yeah. you have the Formula 4 festival, and you have... Castle Kim Carnival. I finished second in the carnival. I bought Hayes, I finished, I podiumed, and I put it on pole at the festival in my heat, to be fair, and rotted the motor. <laughs> so what, buzzed it on the down change? Just, or? It just blew I didn't. I don't know. It wasn't my fault, whatever it was. <laughs> it blew up. Um, I'll remind you of that one next year when I'm racing with you. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, this guy, it was like watching a newborn baby for him. Um, he was just so ecstatic about the results I was getting in this car and off the back of it a phone call came from James we wanted to test our Formula Ford car you know, our national Formula Ford awesome so again we had like no direction we were just, just it was just coming at us and we were just you know just taking it climbing these obstacles and went to Donny on a cold day and basically went below the pole time from that year mm. spoke to our sponsors we'd had a great year with them and said look you know what can we do year after arriving in Formula Ford with Jamin and Smash the championship. Awesome. Then it started to get a little bit, okay, we've got something here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should start to focus our efforts. And at the time, Brits going to America was a big thing. That Justin Wilson's, Dan Weldon's. Mm. And uh, I was a little bit blinded by that. And we had some good support from some, some sponsors and obviously my, my family. So that's the route you wanted to go. You wanted yeah. to go to the States. Because I, I, I could see it as the only way to make some money. Mm. But simultaneously to that, we were still running a car team at the time. One of the fathers of the of the two lads that I, I ran sort of said I'll buy you a Porsche Carrera Cup car to do you know Carrera Cup in the UK you run it you know you, you do everything else but I'll buy you the car and they're like bloody hell this is unbelievable <laughs> anyway I, I sort of said to to the guys I'm really really thankful for your offer but you know I feel for me I want to try and go down the indie lights route yeah 
Anyway, long story short, it was a complete and utter abortion. We just poured money down the drain. We knocked it on after three races. It was a great experience, but totally the wrong thing to do. And we were on our on our arse. Um, what happened? Just the wrong team, or kind of? Yeah, it was weird. It was a little bit like turning up and being in a a has okay. and racing against. Everybody knows that straight away. He knows racing. Everyone's like, yeah. oh yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and, and it was, you know, we really got sold the dream. Uh, but when you broke it down, you know, they quote the season of like two hundred grand dollars, and you turned up and you got Andretti Green that's a million dollars for a season. Yeah, and you start yeah. to see all of a sudden these alarm bells are ringing. Yeah. And no matter how good a driver you are, when you're on an oval and it's full throttle, yeah, you're never everywhere, there, yeah. and you're eight miles an hour slower on average speed, you can't do much about that. No, no, no. <laughs> so yeah. We knocked it on the head, which was emotionally a very difficult thing to do because my parents were obviously so invested in their land. Mm. We were supporting Indy 500, that was the next race, and I just said, look, we, we are burning cash. There is no point. So we stopped and we came back and we were like, well, what do we do now then? So you made that decision too? Yeah, I had to. It was pointless. It was literally pointless. That's a brave shout at that stage of your career, like to yeah. have that kind of foresight. I think from where I've come from, you know, I understand the value of money. My parents have always lost a gut to put me in the car, remortgaged houses, sacrifice so much so I understood the sacrifice that was being made and I didn't want that sacrifice to continue yeah and and retrospectively looking back I don't think we could have fulfilled it anyway so you know it was it was a tough time really so dad said you've got to speak to this, this, this guy and ask him if the offer's still on the table I said dad I've like said no to him once <laughs> you know, I'm not and, I, and I'm quite a I don't really like talking to people anyway and he said you've got to because otherwise your career's done yeah so I went back to him and I said look Oh, <laughs> remember me? <laughs> is that offer of the Porsche still on the table? And he said, no, no, it's not actually. He said, but I will fund a car to the tune of £50,000. We were like, oh, okay. So let's get busy, look at what to do. And at the time, the G50 had had its first year, G50 Cup, as it was back then, had had its first year, and they'd just got the Toka deal. The Ginettas? Uh, yeah, Ginettas, yeah. yeah. And it looked sensible to, to sort of try and go down the route with exposure and whatnot. So we bought a G50 with it and he paid the entry for us and it was, you know, great. And he said, right, you're on your own. Anyway, we, I mean, we had no money, not even two pennies to rub together. So we went to the media day and went round and round and round and round, you know, learning the car, didn't have a clue about anything. Turned up at round one and we looked like we didn't belong. Transit van in a trailer, little pop-up easy up, not even a trolley to get the tyres to the... <laughs> <laughs> to, to the to the centre and my, my best mate was mechanic in for me Ben um, it was like is it going to be wet is it going to be dry and Ben said right mate we're in the assembly area he said um, choose yeah. <laughs> what? make a decision basically whatever you choose you're going with and, and that is it and I'm like uh, slicks so but we won a race and it was like it was just such an amazing weekend and, and after that weekend the guy rang me who bought the car and he said Nathan you've got a test you've got to put some tyres on the car just go out I'll underwrite it, just go and do it. And yeah. we just walked the championship, literally annihilated, <laughs> annihilated everybody. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and we had the best year. And then that kind of was the time when Century became a car team. Yeah. So we started to run Formula Fords because obviously I won the championship. And and the whole idea behind this guy was, you know, his two sons wanted to move into cars. And mm. I was the guy that got all the data of the setup. Mm. So in 2010, we ran his two sons and we actually ran four cars and, and it set Century up. Yeah, it really did. So I'm forever in debt to, to him, to be honest. Yeah. And, and it's just grown from there. But it wouldn't have happened without hard work. You know, it's no, not like... It's... Yeah, people do give you a give you a boost. But at the same time, it's kind of, I'm a big believer that, you know, if you put the work in, the, the, the good fortune does come your way. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, good fortune doesn't come come to people that sit in their arse and do nothing. That's true. Yeah. And we had always worked hard. Yeah, we're just straightforward people. And I think, you know, people like that. And that's why now I'm in a stronger position and with what I do with Century, I'm really proactive with the young drivers. Yeah. Because I never had somebody who was saying, do this, do that, send that report to here. You know, BMW, they're looking for a junior driver. Yeah, know. yeah. And I think if I did, I probably could have got to a very different place. You know, a good example is Nick Tandy. You know, 2006, I beat him in mm. the Formula 4 Championship. I'm not saying I'm a better driver, but, you know, well, that's, results the, are that's results. the caliber yeah. of drivers we were up against. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, arguably, arguably I was in a better car. But you make these choices, you make these decisions. I think if I had a bit more guidance, it might have been different. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I sort of care for the people who race with me. Yeah. Um, it's my little way of giving back, I suppose, if you like. Yeah, you know, you do it very well. Yeah, definitely. You know, certainly Gus last year, you know, you you have been a big influence on him uh, in a good way. Definitely a talent for the future, 100%. But yeah, you, you can kind of see that. It's one of the big things about Century that kind of struck me as soon as, as soon as I turned up was the professionalism one. The standard of work was just absolutely incredible. But it was the stuff in the background that you just don't see at a lot of other places. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't happen in other teams, but certainly from, you know, myself, I've run with about four or five different teams now. And, you know, you, you don't see that in the other teams, you know, that level of, uh, of kind of input. So that's up to present then. What's your ideal for the future? Like in a perfect world, where would you see it going? Um, it's a good question, that is, because I flip between two positions. Central Motorsport is my life. We don't have any other subsidiary business or family money. So I've got, you know, Al to feed. And, you know, from that point of view, I'm, you know, sustainability is a big thing for me. You know, it's a volatile business and it seems to be that, you know, people come and go, teams come and go. And we've been around now, you know, it was our 25th year last year. But I want to continue. What I don't want to do, I guess, what I'm saying is I don't want to necessarily put Century at risk by doing some yeah. humongous jump and selling my soul to the devil. Right? Yeah. I've already done that a few times. <laughs> you know, I need to be careful. I employ, you know, there's eight of us now. I treat them all like family. So I want to make sure that each year there's a job for them. Mm. Uh, obviously, I want to expand and, and grow, uh, which I guess leads me on to the second position I look at is that, you know, of course, we have aspirations to move forwards. We've done what we've done for a long time being Genetta Super Cup and, and the British GT. It's our 11th year, our 12th year, sorry, doing those championships. And we do have aspirations to move forwards. I think it's probably when those when the right time comes. You know, we had a little spell of GT3s in 2019 and, and looking back, it wasn't as successful as I wanted it to be for a few reasons. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. But I think, you know, now we are ready to step forwards again, to move into... GT3 and international racing and I think we've got some good opportunities coming up towards the end of this year to make that step you know we honestly we haven't got the money to go and buy two GT3 cars and, yeah. and then get drivers so it's a little bit chicken and egg situation but you know there's people making noises and, and we'll see where it leads to Yeah, um, yeah. but I guess I'm not going to rush it when it comes I'll grasp the opportunity with both hands but you know Le Mans would be a, a dream to do yeah. as with everybody uh, I have aspirations to go back and do the Nürburgring 24 hour as a team but so yeah. you do the Nürburgring already? yeah I've done I've raced the Nürburgring twice 24 hour twice and we've been as a team twice but not in the 24 hour the VLN and I just love the event you know it's crazy <laughs> it does look mega people having barbecues on the side as yeah. cars are flying by it, it's, it's like a festival it's a little bit like Le Mans I suppose if you like with it's not just the race that's going on it's just so much going on around it and yeah. the, the atmosphere but I'm, I'm a very safe person and I won't 
do something on a whim. You know, there's a lot of people out there that will probably get a lot further than I will because I'll just grasp these opportunities and do it, perhaps without being fully prepared, where it's something, it's in my DNA that I won't do that. Yeah. I have to be completely prepared and set up ready ready for that, that, yeah. that, 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 that <clears throat> uh, or that step. You know, I just know that when we get that opportunity, it'll be right. Yeah, I can relate to that. I don't like doing anything kind of half-assed isn't the right way to describe it, but I hate not being prepared. I hate being surprised yeah. is, is probably the better way to describe it. You know, like last year was you know, horrific first first couple of rounds when, you know, before I started chatting to you guys. And then like the difference, so getting back to what you were saying about, obviously you've been in Ginetta Super Cup now for a while, but the difference walking into the paddock for the first race weekend and then seeing everything that was prepped beforehand, I was just like, oh my God, my stress level has just decreased about 90%. <laughs> like it was, I mean, even little things like getting in and, putting a brake bias on the car for what you knew it should be at like little things like that I was just like brilliant perfect <laughs> yeah it's it's what well I, I guess the Ginetto probably has benefit from what the team's done in the British GT side of mm. stuff the 20 prior side of stuff because that's a lot more intense you know the level of detail in prep has to be huge and that just filters down you know it's our, it's yeah. our ethos it's not like the Ginetta is a lesser championship so therefore we work less on the cars yeah and the experience from what we do in the sort of highly pressurized situations or series, you know, stems down into the Genetas, and yeah. and I, I do think that you know we're sort of one of the heavyweights in Genetas now. We've been around yeah, forever, absolutely. And uh, you know, we're not we're not the cheapest. We know that, but we have to offer a service which reflects our, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, it shows the value of what we do. And I honestly believe that with the resource of data, video, you know, and, and experience on the setup on the cars, it's it's unparalleled. Yeah. Going back to what you're saying, you know the way people talk about, oh, you pay for what you get. In motorsport, I don't really think that because a lot of the time you get over-egged uh, yeah. or you get over kind of budgeted or you know quoted. I've I've been a victim of it before. You know, people have you know that have never run the championship before have quoted me the same price as the previous year's championship winner, and I've just been like, okay, well clearly they can do the job, and they just can't. One of my pet hates is a that'll do attitude. Yeah. Like that is one one of the worst things anyone can say to me is, oh, that'll do. I'm just like, no, it won't do. It needs to be 100% every yeah. single time. And look, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think maybe the first or second weekend that we raced together was, you know, marginal gains. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, it may only be worth half a tenth, but when there's... 20 jobs that are worth half a tenth that you saw on a car, all of a sudden, you know, you, you're making good strides. Yeah. So it was, yeah, that was, I can relate to that 100%. So you went to the Nürburgring twice. Yeah. How'd you get on? Um, yeah, good. It was <laughs> yeah. interesting. So I had a, it was a customer actually, a casting customer who his dad or father was very high up in Marangoni tyres and obviously took a bit of a shine to me because I was doing so well in karting at the time. And he said, we'd have just transitioned into cars actually. And he said, look, you know, we've got some promo days and some test driving to do for Marangoni. Will you, will you come and do some stuff in Italy? So yeah, damn right I will. Um, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so I started doing these days with them. It wasn't a lot, but it was nice. And I was on their sort of official test driver you know, website and everything. And they were quite an upcoming, they were huge in truck tyres, quite an upcoming automobile, you know, car, basically, tyre brand. And they were pushing quite hard. And it was 2008 and the Fiat 500 had just been released, the new version. Of yeah, it. yeah. And they had this, oh, kicking the table. Yeah. They had this. Um, Drinks already. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, they had this this sort of vision of little Fiat 500 Italian car, Italian, Marangoni Italian brand, takes on the, the Nürburgring yeah. 24 hour. 
and Engsler Motorsport, who were big at the time, built the car and it was sold on quite a good little pitch actually. Proper car, it's going to have you know 200 horsepower, it's not going to be winning any race but it's mm. going to be good fun and it's going to get a massive amount of attention. Uh, I was like, yeah, damn right. So it was me, quite a well-known journalist called Jethro Bovenden. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then two other journalists, a German guy and an Italian guy. And uh, we turned up for this race. And I, I mean, I didn't know what the figuring was before I turned up. So we had to fast track me through to get my license, which was consisted of driving a oh, rental gosh, car yeah. around Nürburgring in this humongous chain. And not only did I have an underpowered rental car, I didn't know where the circuit went. <laughs> Hanging on to this chain was really difficult. And I was basically risking my life. <laughs> Just to get, to get your license. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and, and anyway, I got it, got it through, and we turned up at the Nürburgring, and, and this beautiful little Fiat 500 was there, all stickered up, big brakes, slicks, slick tyres, everything. So, you know, it looked really, really good. So, what power's it got? Yeah, um, we didn't get to do the engine. Oh, right, okay, so what? 200 horsepower? <laughs> What's the road car engine? Yeah. Oh, no. It was like 50 horsepower. <laughs> it, was more, it had to be more than that, but uh, it wouldn't pull its own weight, basically, to the point where, I, I don't know the, 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 the section of track, but you've got a load of flat out uphill. Uh, yeah, it's right quite a heavy right. uphill section. Isn't and it? you're like, fifth gear. <laughs> Fourth. Fourth gear. Third gear. <laughs> and at the time, I was racing in America, and I, you know, I've never had an ego, yeah. but I was at the height of my career, I suppose, if you like, so I was like, <laughs> what's this about <laughs> um, and it was it was it was it was dangerous because we were just so slow and so you in the same races yeah everybody like gt3s and yeah. stuff like jesus christ so there was so there was this will make you laugh there's 220 cars on the grid and we qualified 220 <laughs> four minutes four minutes a lap slower than the pole car four minutes a lap holy <laughs> oh, shit and at this point i was like oh, I'm, yeah, I'm annoyed about this uh, my name and um, I started the race, and of course they all go, and I'm like driving around that. And I'm on the limit of this car, you know? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not like we were like driving Miss Daisy, I'm on the limit of this car, and I get like half around the lap, and the Porsche medical car just passes me and goes. <laughs> anyway, as the race went on... Team the doctor's like, come on, mate. Yeah, like, like... Ooh, it's desperately slow, but as the race wore on, you just accepted for what it was, yeah, and yeah. actually, when you accepted it, it had a massive amount of character, and it, to the point where people were coming up to us saying, even that little uh, Fiat 500, Oh man, you had three wheels around the corner. <laughs> Sideways I wish everywhere. I was in that car. You know, I mean, I'm in this Aston GT4 car. It's lethal. I'm like nearly, you know, and everyone just enjoyed it. Yeah. Anyway, Nurburgring being Nurburgring, you know, night came and the rain came. These two, Jethro was fine, but these two journalists, they just freaked out. One went out and did one lap and came straight back in. Pretty much the other guy did the same. It's like, we can't drop. This is terrifying. Yeah. You don't look in your mirrors because the lights of the GT3 cars are so bright, it burns your retinas out. So and you can't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, me and Jethro just back to back it all night, all night through. We had to fake all the, uh, I'm sure to this, but we had to fake all the driver cards because we were well over our driving cards. <laughs> and we just had the best time ever. <laughs> but I can tell you now, I mean, I always thought I was quite, look at, quite quick at learning tracks. It wasn't until the dawn, the dawn stint of the race, where I actually fully knew where I was. Where I was going. <laughs> you start the race, yeah. you're like, I have no idea yeah. where I am. Because it tricks you. If you've ever driven it before, you come through a section, you're like, oh, yeah, I know where I'm going now. You know, left, right, left. Okay, I've got a flat right, and then all of a sudden it's a, it's a 90 it's left. A yeah. <laughs> so you're fucking out on the brakes, and a big lock up, big moment. And um, it wasn't until the, the, the dawn stint where the sun had just come up and it just dried out that I was like, fully committed in the Fiat 500. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we finished 140th, I think. Um, Jeez, you started 220, you finished 140th. Yeah. I mean, it's just a race of attrition, as you know. Yeah, you come yeah. around one corner and there's just carbon fibre everywhere and cars in bits. So it was quite an eye-opener and um, I loved that. So so that was that. We had a great time. And then four years later in 2012, 
we were actually over there with British GT supporting the 24 hour and a real late deal came up to do it in a Jaguar XF little team called Carvel Motorsport uh, who all worked at Jag and they basically built this car and it was peanuts mate what it was honestly peanuts so we jumped in it we did it and we had whale at the time I can't remember what we finished but it was quite we won our class yeah you know, it was a diesel class Maybe finished 80th or 70th. But that how, many, was how many classes are there in total? Loads, man. It's quite it's a class few. of everything. Not as many as Brick Car. Brick Car, I've got like 50 yeah. billion classes, but <laughs> but it's. I, I quite like that, though. I like that kind of, not run what you brung, but like <laughs> almost that kind of attitude with it. Yeah. I think, you know, if you can find a class to put a car in, I think that's pretty cool. Because there was last year, or maybe last year, maybe the year before, but I remember seeing a car and there was a Vauxhall, but it was an old school... Like, like a Manta. Yeah, yeah, that was Every it. year he's there. He got taken out by, I think it was a Merc GT3 car that took him out. And it was, I think it was on the pit straight. It may, I may be speaking absolute bollocks, but I think it was on the pit straight. So like everyone saw it happen. Yeah. And obviously he went in and everyone was thinking, oh, that's his, that's his race. And he came out. I think maybe a few hours before the end of the race, yeah. and like literally the race finished, and everyone flooded him. Yeah. Like the, the the winner was going around, like yeah, yeah, great, and everyone was flooding the Manta, and I was just like, that's awesome. Like you get you get some real nice moments in motorsport like that. You saying that actually reminded me of a, of the time we did Dubai twenty four hour, and we were we were walking the class about seven hours into the race. Anyway, the engine blew up in the Genetta. Oh, um, oh, God. You know. GT4? Well, it was a Super Cup car, basically. Right, okay. And the engine, blew, I mean, didn't blow up, it annihilated itself. So, of course, got the car recovered and we were all gutted. Anyway, we turned the car around in, it was about three hours from in to driving out. And as we drove the car out, all the garage turned around and, you know, sort of standing evasion, uh, evasion and clapped you. And you thought, it's nice moments yeah, like that yeah. where... Everyone's grafted. They could easily just ignore you. you yeah. Know, teams from different countries as GT3 yeah. teams battling for the lead and everyone just gives you that bit of credit and you think, yeah. that's nice. That's what it's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah a bit yeah. of camaraderie. Yeah, that's what it's about. Like, even if, like people that could be racing against you, like very, very yeah. close to you, people appreciate a hard yeah. job. I always remember that Manta, like them all flooding the track and just running up to him and he's like high-fiving yeah. everyone, like all the rest of it. It's famous car, like, isn't he? He always runs like a... Uh, skunk's tail or something on yeah that's it yeah 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 that's I, it i've got a feeling he's, he's he's parked it now i remember seeing a post somewhere that you know manta is no more basically but oh, he must have man. done it every year since 1985 or something it's a legend yeah absolute legend ring legend so the other obviously well i've told you already but one of my massive uh, goals is pike's peak alongside i mean le mans is the is the priority but Pikes Peak gives me that kind of impression as well that it's like a close knit community of people that yeah. want to do it for the same reason. They're yeah. not you know all out to smash each other to beat pieces. They, you know, it's versus the hill basically or versus the mountain. I like things like that. So where did the BMW relationship start then? Because obviously you um, ran BMW GT4 and won it in twenty eighteen. Yeah. So you know we were primarily a Genetta team. Everything we did was Genetta, and we. We love Genetta. We still run them. Yeah, we've been part of the family now for, as I say, last half season. We were always a little bit nervous that we were getting pigeonholed into just running one car. And you know, if Genetta stopped one day, you know, where's our reputation and other things? So we were always looking. Anyway, we know British GT, or we know GT racing is, is a political game. And GT four, we've been there from being you know two cars on the grid. Of, of eight you know, GT3s and we could see GT4 was getting bigger and mm. bigger gathering momentum and you know the Genetta's GT4 accreditation probably isn't the most legitimate thing in the world mm. there's no sort of secret about that 
And there was a new era of GT4 car coming out. You know, the McLaren was already out, and he had the BMW was coming, the Merc yeah. was coming. They seemed to all kind of Al- flood the place. Like Audi was coming, and we just got a feeling in 2017 with the way the bop went that the writing was on the wall for the Janetta. I said to Clive, so "Bops the the balance of performance." Right, yeah. yeah. So obviously, before each weekend, you get a piece of grid of every car and ride height, power, weight, um, yeah. and it was just. It was just, it seemed like the odds were a little bit against us. You know, Ginetta is a it's strong point of braking and the chassis. Yeah. It's weak points of straight line speed. And, you know, the, the philosophy of GT4 was changing from that to loads and loads of power and don't worry about the cornering. Yeah. Um, which, you know, when you generate your lap time through the corners and the brakes, you could be a lot considerably quicker, but you could never get past a car. Yeah, you'll never power. pass anyone. So, uh, you know, the writing was on the wall, shall we say. I actually have always, purely because I love a V10, love the Aldis, and I had my heart set on the Aldi. So I, was, you know, I had a chat with my old man, Clive, my business partner, and we said we need to roll the dice on this if we're going to do this, otherwise we're dead in the water. So I went over to Germany, tested the Aldi, and I was just so underwhelmed with it, I can't tell you. Really? Yeah, yeah, I jumped out of it, and my first thought was I just can't sell this, because I don't believe in it. And I'm not saying it was a slow car. In what way? It was like numb? Or it was kind like of driving a road car. Really? Yeah, it yeah. was the weirdest thing. And it was early in its development, so it had this weird bucking issue, and we went on their test course of whatever, wherever it was. What, what corner, like? It would hop through the corner. Right. And I wasn't the only one saying this, and I just jumped out of it, and I was, this was not what I expected, and you come from a Ginetta, which is a thoroughbred race car. Oh, no, race car, yeah. uh, Into this completely sanitised, gentleman-friendly car with some weird characteristics, so I kind of just drew a black line through it. Yeah. Mercedes wasn't ready. There was, you know, I wasn't going to invest all that money into a car I hadn't even touched. Yeah, yeah. McLaren was just a bit problematic at the time and it wasn't really on my radar. Mm. And that left the BMW. When I started my little research, you know, I sent sent info to all the manufacturers, you know, what have you got? What's the options? And and BMW all the time, straight back, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, okay, that's they're keen. Audi was a little bit slower. Mercedes didn't even get anything back. So that's I, poor, really, when you're sending out for. It, it is poor. Uh, you know, I think it is poor, but. but when you're yeah. basically saying, I've got money to spend. Yeah, I'm going to spend half a million pounds or something. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to spend this money with you? Yeah. And I've got nothing back. And I, I kind of understand why, because they had nothing to give me. Mm. The car was just not developed. But still, you would reply and yeah. say, we will Please be we will keep you in mind. And Yeah, yeah. So I, whilst I've got the info back from BMW, I've done nothing with it. And I, I said to, to the old man, I said, look, I, you know, it's this, this Audi, I, I don't want to go down this route. I'd heard somebody saying some positive stuff about the BMW, so I got back in touch. A guy called Florian, lovely bloke, had a GT4. And I said, look, you know, I've been and tested the Audi, I didn't like it. The Merc's not available. You know, the BMW is on my shortlist, but I'm not going to buy anything without testing it. He said, fly over next week, give you a test in the car. And if you like it, let's talk about it. And I said, okay, what's that going to cost me? Bear in mind, I've paid for the Audi. Yeah. No, it's free. I said, okay, well, fantastic. And at that time, we'd just finished a successful 27 season with Ben Green. Yeah. And he wanted to move to GT with us. This has been coming out of Supercup. Supercup, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, can I bring a driver with me? And we flew down to Hockenheim. And we had 20 minutes each in the car. And straight away, it was like, okay, yeah. this feels like a race car. You know, yeah, the noise, yeah. everything about it. Of course, it is a converted road car. You know, yeah. There's elements of, of a road car in it, so the gearbox is a bit slower. But it had a grin factor to it. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. straight away, I, I felt, okay, I believe in this product. But not only that. They were just so keen, BMW, to get cars into the UK. Yeah, yeah. And what I really respect BMW for, motorsport, is you know what you see 
is what you get. Yeah. What they tell you is what you'll get. What they don't tell you is what you won't get. Yeah. It was all very black and white, and you know there was no deals on any cars. It, this was the price. But if you buy these cars, we're going to support you to the hilt. We're going to send a parts drop to from Munich every weekend. It's British GT. We're going to send you a support engineer. You you are going to basically be a factory supported team. Yeah. And that's not just because it was us. That was because that's what they did to all of them. Yeah. yeah. But the UK in particular, you know, they had a bit of a barren spell with BMWs in it, and he was just super keen. So. We um, jump on it. Yeah, thank you. We rolled the dice and we we did it. We paid it paid off because in twenty eighteen we we finished first and second in the championship and um, it was the car to be. Yeah. BMW loved it. We gave them their first championship. We gave them their first win mm. or customer racing win, and we were like flavor of the month. Yeah. <laughs> Finish the season like right here we go. We're going to reap what we've sown. About November it was all looking really really good, and about November Aston Martin. T- Release the junior program they were going to do, and I'm not joking. It just vaporized any interest we had in the cars. Yeah. Overnight, we spoke with BMW and they had a junior program, but it was all very Germanic. You know, it's well, there's not a junior program until there is a junior program, and yeah, not we're gonna. You know, the British mentality is it's all dangling carrots. And, yeah, yeah. You know, come and drive this car. And we're going to do this for you, and unfortunately, the Germans just won't do that. And it really killed us overnight, to mm. be honest, actually. In, in because the younger drivers were looking for the... Yeah, and rightly so, you know. <clears throat> I, I have a bit of an issue with the view. You know, drivers coming through nowadays, you know, they've got a divine right, these youngsters. Yeah. If I drive a BMW, I should be a BMW factory driver. Well, actually... Yeah, bullshit. No. <laughs> if you drive a BMW and drive it fast, and you can present yourself in front of a camera, and you're fit, and you're mentally strong, yeah. you've got a really good chance of getting something. Mm. But if you're none of those, why the fuck should you be driving in a factory BMW yeah, car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, other manufacturers will be like, yeah, absolutely will be, yeah. And of course, when it comes to the crunch and, and they, they've spent their season's worth of racing with, um, oh, no, we never promised you it. Yeah, yeah. No, if you, but you did another season, we'll, we'll assess it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, that's something that morally doesn't sit well with me at all. Unfortunately, that's motorsport. It is motorsport. Pretty... It is motorsport. And I have to say that BMW have woken up to this. You know, I've been banging the drum to the point where last year I was quite open that I was going to look somewhere else. And, you know, the old saying, they grasp the nettle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have done. And they've got, a, you know, thing, things have aligned for us a little bit. We've had a couple of years of pain, you know, with various things, whatever. But I feel like this year it's, it's aligned a little bit more for us. And, you know, we've got some really fantastic drivers, mm. which not we didn't have before, but, you know, we moved Gus, for example, we've moved up with him from Super Cup. Will Burns, the guy that beat him in the championship. Mm. There's a new Evo package on the car this year. So it's some revisions to help, help improve A, performance and B, reliability. And there's a new junior selection at the end of this year. So for me, it's double-sided because if I... A, we get the right, we can attract the right drivers to win the championship. That helps for next year. Yeah. But if I can get someone like Gus into this junior program, the credibility that's going to give Century Motorsport yeah, absolutely. Is, is colossal. I mean, yeah, I can't yeah. even begin to describe it. It's a revolution, it. isn't it? it? Well, it is. And it shows that we carry weight, and we do carry weight because we're the only BMW team in the UK. And if we walked off and went to McLaren or, or, or Aston or whoever, you know, I think it would not show them in very good light. And yeah, yeah. You know, whether you like it or not, the BMW is not a trendy car to drive. Mm. Certainly, the M6 in GT3 
Well, it's know, all badge snobbery, basically. It is badge, yeah. I mean, absolutely right. Like, and, kind and, of, and nothing against people yeah. that drive McLarens or anything yeah. like that, but like, it, it's pretty well known that if you drive a, a Ferrari GT3 car, you can add twenty five percent to your budget just for the badge. Like, so, so true, and and, and and that's that's kind of what we find in the GT3 car, but you know, less so with the GT4 because it's youngsters and it's performance driven. Mm-hmm. But it's always this junior program. I feel like we're in a good place now, and I, I love BMW. Mm. You know, they're they're fantastic to work for. Every aspect of it is 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 a joy. It's probably that last little bit that I've explained the junior program yeah. and having this British mentality because yeah. that they couldn't get it at first. They were like, well, this is not the same in Germany. This is not the same in America. Yeah. It's like they're different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're British. Yeah. We're weirdos. Yeah. And, and like, you have to have a British mentality. We live on an island by ourselves. That's it. <laughs> it's like a small-minded mentality. Yeah, and and because we have to focus on these like all these little things. Whereas it's it, not just saying well, it's a BMW. It's the fastest. It's the most successful GT4 car ever made or modern era GT4 car, yeah. which is which it is. That's not enough. Yeah. You know, it's the fastest and we can do this, we can do that, we can make sure your son's in front of the right people. If, if you're having to explain that the car is uh, well, it's that you've already you've missed the point already. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you, you guys were, were good enough to give us a test a test out on the car at the end of the last year when we were looking at getting a budget together which sadly didn't didn't go the right way. But it was a fantastic bit of kit and it was a proper race car. I've driven two no, I've driven three actually, GT so I drove the old the old Aston Martin. Mm. Which is great, you know. Really enjoyed that. It was a great car. I drove the GT4 McLaren, but that was in the pure McLaren right. spec, like with basically understeer city, <laughs> which is like screaming tires, like the entire way. And I've driven driven your BMW and the McLaren. It's a great car, like it, but a bit numb mm. like that. And as soon as I jumped in the BMW last year, I was just like, oh, this is awesome. Even down to the cockpit, like you sit in the cockpit, you just think everything. Is in the perfect place. You know where it is instinctively. You don't yeah. have to look down at the steering wheel to figure out where the pit limiter is. You know where it is straight away. And it was little things like that. And it, I don't know what it was, but last year was a big learning curve for me in the Super Cup, getting used to downforce and all the rest of it. And going back to less downforce yeah. and trailing the car in and pitching it in and rotating it on the brake and all the rest of it. It was just, it was. I loved it. It was absolutely brilliant. It's a great car. Great it, car. It's a bit of a racer's car, and yeah, um, yeah I'm not going to sit here and say it's fast and everything else because that's not the case. They all generate lap times mm. in their own way, mm. um, but you are right. You know, some of the cars feel very sanitised. Yeah. You know, whereas this is maybe negatively so a little bit for the for the gentleman, but I love it. Yeah, I do love it, and it's got some presence, and they're yeah. just good cars, man. They're cool, and it's just when you when you when you said about the Audi being kind of. Oh, I just felt like a road yeah. car. That was the impression I got from from the McLaren. I I, I liked it. It was great. Yeah. You know, it was, it was fantastic. It was a great bit of kit. Really quick. I had a great test with them there, and they were very very good to me. And it was John Byrne who won the championship that year in Caterham four twenties, and we we had a great time. Mm. But I I didn't have anything to really compare it against then. And then we jumped in the the BMW last year, and I was like, holy yeah. shit, like this thing's. And it, it that was one of the other things I noticed about it as well was the smallest setup change. You could feel it straight away. I think we stiffened the rear just to see what it would do through old hairpin and it was it was straight yeah. away it was it was on it straight away which is i think rare sometimes some race cars you do something and you're like <laughs> yeah it could be the opposite as far as i know yeah um, that's yeah it is a very tunable tool i, I agree with you there interestingly we run a, an aston now in in gt cup with a you know great yeah, great, I was say great got that. it's nice to see both sides of the coin and, and it, you know as again as a team you know, we love the BMW side of it and we've pushed really, really hard to forge yeah. that relationship. But 
we have a customer who doesn't want to drive a BMW, he wants to drive an Aston Martin, and we're more than glad to do that. Yeah, yeah. And it's really given us a bit of an insight into the differences between the cars, and, and they both have huge pros and cons. But talking about the setup, it, it, you know, the Aston seems a little bit more numb to setup changes, I have to say, yeah. in the fact that we actually don't do much with it, whereas the Beamer is tinkering at the edges all the time. And is that a good thing? I don't actually know if it is, to yeah. be honest. But That's from a, an engineering standpoint, yeah. it's, it's a little bit more involving. So we, we enjoy it. But we've you've got a good handle on those cars now. Yeah, it's our fourth year running them, and um, what we don't know about them probably isn't worth knowing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Getting on to the thing that I've been really looking forward to talking about. I've got a little bit of a chub on, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Like it's awesome. Classics by Century. Mm. Oh, mate, that that. Do you know what? If anyone gets gets the chance, you need to go on the Nathan's Facebook page and look at the uh, the build process for the Ford Capri that they're they're building. Uh, and he has said that I can drive it one day. You did say yeah, that as well. No, no, no I'm not problem. just imagining that, am I? <laughs> no, 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 it's no problem. <laughs> like, go into a bit of detail about that, mate, because um, we'll get into the Ford Capri in a second. But yeah. yeah, so as I said earlier on in the podcast, Century Motorsport is a race team and nothing else. And we're well aware that that is, you know, here today could be gone tomorrow. You have a bad season, you don't sign drivers. So we, over the last few years, have woken up to try and di- to diversify. We have a small engine parts business that we run which helps bring a little bit of income in. And, and one of the booming industries at the minute is classic cars. Yeah. And we like the idea of branching out to this because we can bring a little bit of a modern sort of philosophy to it, what we do. You know, we've got very skilled you know, workmen. But also, with modern day racing, we, we rely heavily on subcontractors. Mm. And we like the idea that we could perhaps employ three or four more people on the classic side and use those. Keep it in-house. Yeah, in-house. Yeah. And I was doing some racing with a guy called Nick Matthews in an Austin Healy. And we went to the spa six hour a couple of times and a three hour. And he was going to build a Capri RS2600 group, group two. And we were titivating over what to do, not really having much clarity on it, on the classic side of things. And he said, look, I found a Capri in the Netherlands. And there's another one. They're a good price. They're genuine RS2600s. Do you fancy it? And we were like, yeah. We do, actually. <laughs> they wouldn't even have to finish the sentence for me to say yes. In that. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm quite, I live in my own world sometimes and in my little bubble and don't look outside of that bubble. So I didn't even know what a Group 2 replica yeah, RS 2600 yeah. was. But of course, you know, my old man's of the age of, you know, when they were young. Yeah, yeah. That was the car to have. So he was sold straight away. Mate, the Group 2 stuff. It's just, oh, yeah. Right. So we, we went over to the Netherlands and looked at this car and we came back with it. Well, yeah. A few months later, we got it imported back, but we bought it. And that was, again, going back to what I said earlier on, it, I didn't want to just start opening the doors. We are Century Classics. Bring your car to us. We're going to do a lot of work on it. Yeah, yeah. Not really understanding how the historic world works. So it was going to be a case study for us. And we've learned a lot. You know, it's not been the smoothest ride. You know, modern day stuff has interfered a lot with it. You know, it's when it's flat out, it gets left. And yeah, yeah. It's quiet, it gets picked up. And it wasn't really until lockdown last year when... I had clarity on what to do. You know, the, the stresses of the modern day stuff had stopped. I wasn't getting distracted. And, and we, we, we really got into this Capri. It's basically now at a point where we're going to look at it on Thursday at the body shop. But in a month's time, it should be back painted and, and we should be building it for a final build. 
but it's it's been a hell of a learning curve and you know off the back of the stuff we put on social media we've got we've got cars off it we're running a little alfa romeo now we've actually got another capri which we we're looking after yeah so it's growing and yeah. it's, it's growing itself and which is quite nice you know we we're actually just employed somebody now full-time to focus solely on the classics and, and i actually think it could turn into quite a healthy business for us i've got a sneaky suspicion though that's going to kick off uh, for you guys obviously i hope it does but knowing the standard of the standard of prep that you guys do anyway the level of professionalism that you work to and the standard that you wouldn't let slide uh, you wouldn't let anything go go out the door that's not 100 percent. so I, I could see that kicking off massively yeah i i mean i agree with you you know we we've tried you're building a car right i mean well, firstly, as a first project to do, we built off a hell of a lot, and mm. that became blindingly obvious when, you know, there is there's a homologation form, which is all in German, some very rudimental photos. So we took a lot of head-scratching to figure out what, what you know, stupid things like, okay, well, what, what width axle do we have? I yeah. don't know, what, what width wheels do you want? What offset? It's like, well, we don't know. We don't have any <laughs> yeah. of this. So yeah. we just Suck it pick, and see. pick one. Yeah. And we learned, I mean, we had to learn a hell of a lot. We built this car off photos, basically, and... You know, I said to to Clive, you know, this is a budget break. We're not building this car to to make money on it because if we sell it for what we spent on it, we're probably going to do well. But what we are doing is it's literally no stone unturned, yeah. um, and it's as close to a replica as you could possibly get. It's even down to the thing of, of the point of German laser etching on on the dashboard. Yeah. We've really really gone to town on it, and I and I think it's going to really separate our car. Yeah, you know, and I'm not talking bad of any historic world because there's some amazing teams out yeah. there doing. You could eat your dinner off these cars, yeah. But actually, when we've dug into it quite quite in depth, I do think we've we've really nailed this. Obviously, when we've finished it, we'll be able to see for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a fine line, isn't it? Because you know, we as racers want to make these cars as fast as possible, but we also need to make it as period as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a little bit. We don't want to make it period mm. to the detriment of speed, mm. and we don't want to make it fast to the detriment of being period. Yeah. So. We've got a lot to learn, and putting it on the track is probably going to, you know, give us an indication of how close we got it. But yeah. I'm just looking forward to it, and I can't wait. I oh, really can't wait. I'm so excited to see it, mate. Like, so to tell everyone that's that's kind of watching or listening, Nathan sent me. So you sent me the onboards of the not the onboards, the um, videos of the engine going through the dyno, which Nathan made or, or rebuilt the engine himself <laughs> you, you you were quite stressed yeah. out about that because you never you never re, you never rebuilt anything like that before have you no so i mean i i've got a you know I've, <clears throat> I've got i'm a very mechanical person and i've rebuilt plenty of engines you know i've got a 1200 horsepower toyota mr2 engine yeah, we'll but it's a little second. bit different <laughs> because you know that's my engine if it blows up so what you know i've got no one to answer to whereas this you know it's the engine's fifty thousand pound engine mm. I had fantastic guidance from Init Racing. We bought all the parts from them and he, he basically supplied me all the information I needed and, and held my hand a lot. And without him, I, I wouldn't have been able to get it as... as oh, it would have run, of course, but yeah. it probably wouldn't have been at the power level it's at. And I, I did a time-lapse of it, which probably made it take double as long. But I yeah, I remember just great chat, chatting to you, saying, oh, you know, I'm bricking it. Yeah, we, went, <laughs> we built it. And we went to a dyno and basically thrashed the bollocks off it yeah. for, for two hours. And I, my arse was doing this <laughs> that, the whole time. And, and I have to say, at the end of it, when it ran and didn't blow up and made good power, I was so satisfied. Made really good power. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I was over the moon to be honest. So no, not that I ever doubted myself, but when you add like a value like that to it, yeah, yeah. And there's very little in reality that when an engine fails that can actually total the motor. Mm. But it was just work, you know, it's the effort you put into it and you know, it doesn't always run smoothly, but this did. Yeah. It was yeah. just nice. It was like, okay, pat on the back. <laughs> you can tell when you when you when you were talking about it and you were saying, Oh, we're gonna I knew the amount of effort you put in, I knew it was gonna it was gonna be fine because I knew the amount of effort you put into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's so you always have that kind of niggling feeling in the back of your head, it's like what if I've missed something yeah. or yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. why what if I've not done that bolter? Yeah. But, but honestly, it, you know, because of because of of what it was, it was just double, triple checked everything. Else. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it sounded amazing on the dyno. You've you've had to make. I mean, going back to the chassis and the the Capri that you you're uh, restoring now, you've had to make things like the dash and stuff like that yourself as well, haven't you? Yeah. Like that's that is not a small job. Like that is. Yeah, it's it's again, um, you know, as a as a modern day race team, you you're assemblers. You know, you buy a part, you bolt it on. Yeah. You're not fabricators. And <clears throat> I love fabricating. I'm a self-taught welder. And I'm not saying I'm a great welder, but, you know, I can make metal stick together. <laughs> and, and, and we had to learn a lot. You know, years ago, I, I always had this vision of Century Motorsport being this one-stop shop. You know, mainly because if we have something that needs to be welded and we have to travel half an hour to the shop, drop it off. Yeah, yeah. Next day, half hour back. And you know it, it's time lost. Yeah. So if we could do that, and money transport. And... I'm not saying we're going to be making billet parts, but basic repairs we should be able to do. And I bought an entire machine shop because it was it was going cheap mm. six or seven years ago. Now it re- kind of lay dormant in the back of the workshop, and and this has really spurred us into learning it. And yeah. all the guys in the workshop enjoy getting involved in it. And it's been nice. It's been a learning process, and we've had to make some stuff. I mean, we made you know, all the bodywork has been made in house. Oh, the dashboard, the motor's been built, pedal boxes, you name it, we've 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 sort of done it in house. So yeah. it's been nice to call it our own. Yeah. Uh and and it really is our own. You know, is it the most cost effective way or efficient way? probably not. Would if we, you know, we we've got another car hoping to be commissioned to build and there's some bits we probably would just get off the shelf. Yeah. Um, but as a as a project and as a learning process, we want to just do this all within Century Motorsports. Yeah, yeah. And we can't paint it, which is why it's at the body shop. And it went for some fab work, which is beyond us. Um, but other than that, it's all been done in-house. And yeah, it's great. The thing is as well, like, and it, if I had the money, I would genuinely commission one. Because the the value in classic race cars nowadays is, is enormous. You commission a car, get it built, and it it's almost worth fifty grand straight off the top. Yeah, it's oh. bonkers. I find it I find it quite strange. It seems to be some cars are disproportionately yeah higher yeah, yeah. value than others, but the Capri is one of those. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we were looking at this building, it started in twenty seventeen, four years ago now. Yeah, they were going for like one thirty, one forty. Yeah, yeah. A good one, maybe one fifty, and now they're like two hundred plus. Yeah, yeah. But I think you can safely say with the classic industry, it's like an investment. You're yeah. never going to lose money. Yeah, yeah. On it. They're not cheap, but it, it's weird. You know, we the running costs of modern cars is very expensive: mm. brakes, tires, you know, insurance. Whereas the historic stuff, it's the cost of the car is expensive, but the running costs are actually quite cheap. Really? Yeah, relatively speaking. Yeah. You're not getting, you're not just not getting through the tires, not getting through the brakes. Yeah, the engines are a high value item, but it's kind of a different way of looking at it. You know, we've obviously put the effort in with Capri, but. I, you know, I'm looking forward to getting out and, and racing it and yeah. you know, not having to bust, break the bank to do so. So, drag racing, mm. you absolute maniac. 
So not a lot of people know you're actually a world record holder, aren't you? Well, I was. You what? It's been taken. No. Yeah, so it's, the race is back on now to take it back. When? About a month ago. It's weird, actually. Competition's mad for it at the minute. Uh, there's a big YouTuber, a YouTube influencer, who's doing an MR2 drag car. And I was about to say Jake Paul. Yeah. <laughs> he's got like a million subscribers, and, and I've got great bit of exposure off the back of it but it's really dalton people in to try and get this record so yeah yeah jesus how much how much extra can they get out of so first of all start from start yeah yeah so <laughs> like before i get too carried away i've had like had a few beers what is the car that you drag race how did you get into drag racing so it's toyota mr2 which is probably the worst drag car you could possibly pick. <laughs> weirdly i yeah i don't i, I wouldn't say i've always been a toyota person but i started with a toyota corolla GTI, a little 17-year-old kid, bombing around the streets of uh, Kidderminster. <laughs> Obviously ter- within the speed limits. Terrorising them. <laughs> McDonald's car park. <laughs> oh no, you weren't one of them, were you? <laughs> I was never that bad. But, um, but anyway, I, I tuned this car up. I took the engine out, rebuilt it, and, and made it you know, to a car that was, wasn't really a road car anymore. I thought to myself, right, I need to sell this car. And get a car, which like a racing driver would have, so I can go into meetings in. But I'm not going to... You know, do it up to its loud and obnoxious. I'm going to keep it and, you know, I want something relatively quick. So, yeah. sold this Corolla. I did really well out of it, actually. I bought it for 800 spent probably about five grand on it and sold it for three grand. And it gave me enough money to buy a Toyota MR2. So, I spent about a year driving this car around, loving life. And I started bolt, bolting little bits on this MR2, yeah, that got the bug. And a friend said, Do you want to, um, fancy going to Santa Pod? It's like a show on. Yeah, no worries. Let's go. Took the car up there and at the time did like a 12.7, but it was a real quick time for what I'd done to the car and it straight yeah. away got a little bit of interest off all the forms. Well, you know, how, how, what have you got? What have you got under the hood? Well, nothing. It's just standard. <laughs> um, no, no way. And I just got a bug almost instantaneously. And back then the forums were, were, were a big thing. Facebook wasn't even a thing at the time. It's 2005, 2004. And I just started, I blew it up. So that was it, yeah. So I was bolting all these parts to it, blew the engine up. I, was, I thought you were about to say, oh yeah, we just won everything and no, everything was pretty... No, it blew up. No, it blew, blew, blew the engine up. And I thought, well, I might as well rebuild it with forged internals. So then next thing, I thought, well, if I'm going to do the engine, I might as well do the turbo. If I do the turbo, I might as well do this, blah, 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 blah. 500 horsepower later, we're back. <laughs> and that, it wasn't, it was just a bit of fun. That was all it was, really. But we went to an event called 10 of the Best, which was a big... So each car form in the UK would submit their 10 best cars mm. to go to an event in Elvington in Yorkshire and basically run. I got submitted to it. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Went there and anyway, won, won the rear-wheel drive category. Smash, <laughs> smashed it out of the park um, and, and, and broke the European record at the time for this car. And that was kind of it then. It was like, right, okay, this has now gone from a road car into we built it up, built it up, built it up. And, and in 2009, I broke the world record for the fastest Toyota MR2 in the world on whatever register there was you know it's a pretty loosely based thing but it was mm. it was the fastest mr2 in the world that car came to a fairly unceremonious end uh, on the back of a trailer on the way back from brands hatch of all places we've done race car live we put it on display and it was written off um so that was that um bit's a bit of a sad thing i managed to break it down and recover some money um with all the bits and and it that was the race drag race and stuff finished and um we had a Toyota MR2, which we turned into a race car to help get people onto their national A license. Yeah. And we'd used it for a few people, but it was just sat in the corner and, and my old man said, well, what can we do with this MR2? I said, it's, it's worthless. You know, it's, 
not worth even selling it and I don't know what to do with it and he said why don't we turn it into a drag car hmm. I said dad it's so much money and he said yeah but you know the old ones you know a bit nostalgia and written off and why don't we just do it so I sat down I costed it out and I said uh, there was a person I knew who was selling quite a bundle of parts yeah I thought do you know what let's let's go for it so we bought this bundle of parts and anyway the moment I paid this guy the money the floodgates just opened of like what we wanted to do, yeah. what I wanted to do. And I didn't even use one of the, well, I used some wishbones that I bought from him, but the engine and everything went. And this car got transformed from a MR2 race car into the purple MR2 that runs now. Um, Absolute weapon. Yeah, it's it's mental, to be honest. You know, we did an 8.3 last year at 173 miles an hour. Uh, the car just wants to wheelie. 8.3? <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> the, car, the car just wants to wheelie. It, 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 I've never felt so close to death as I have in that. Especially, <laughs> especially at the first, the first time we ran it, or the first few runs, it, it was lethal. I mean, we were at Santa Pod and I was praying for rain because... You get rained off. Yeah. And, and it, it's quite... And this is something you did for a little bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, I actually found it stressful. And, and I knew why. And I knew why I had to drive the car because the car, the setup was wrong. And I understood it, but it wasn't chain... You know, in drag racing, certainly in, at the level I'm at, you know, you, you get four or five runs a day at best. Mm. At worst, you'll get two or three. Yeah. So when you get the line up in that strip, if the car's trying to kill you, you're still trying to keep your foot in. Yeah, yeah. you want to get a time. Yeah, yeah. So um, you learn what the car's doing. Yeah. Mm. And, 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 you know, if you had all the time in the world, you'd back off, you come back, do a change, you go back. And, and I've got some really great friends that come with me and help me. But, you know, from the outside looking in, it didn't look lethal. But from driving, from the seat of the pants, the car felt like it was going to kill me. Yeah. Yeah, they come back. Why don't you keep your foot in? You know, why, why'd you lift then? <laughs> why, why are you hitting the limiter? And it's like, guys, like... I feel like I'm going to die in this yeah, car. Yeah. You know, to the point, and I no word of a lie, still in my drawer in my office, Les, who was with us for a year in 2019, I was that scared. I, I wrote a will out saying, basically, if in the event of my death, I want all my bits and bobs to go to it. You're joking. And he, he signed it to sit in my office because I was so terrified it was going to kill me. Well, in what way? Just spit you off or just kind yeah. of blow up? or. Yeah. I can't really describe it because it looks so sedate from the outside. Uh, it doesn't um, look sedate when I saw it on the... <laughs> just, 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 I don't know, just scary. And, and the MR2 and the way it's constructed, it's all certified, it's got a roll cage in it, yeah. it's tagged to a certain speed, it's it's within the safety requirements. But if you have a front end in that car, oh, yeah, you're going to be Lieutenant Dan in no time yeah. at all. <laughs> so, you got no layers. Yeah, so, um, so I was worried. Anyway, long story short, again, worked on it made some improvements and now it's you know when we did the 8.7 back in 2019 i was like that car cannot go any faster than that you know i was like yeah i had to lift at the end of the strip i was that scared of it going out of control and then end of 2020 when i did the 8.3 i was like this car will do seven seven and a half so we worked the chassis yeah and it's much 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 nicer to drive i'm no longer scared of it yeah yeah. it does what you want it to do it goes straight it Mm. doesn't squirm all over the place because that's the thing that you hear a lot of people it's oh drag racing is just going in a straight line it's like uh, no it's not yeah. <laughs> like it's sort of the, you know, the guys that are pedalling at top yeah. top fuel level like, they are good at what they do I've got massive respect for them it's, I love it again it's it's a little bit I hate to say this term but it's a little bit pikey yeah, yeah. it's spitting yeah. sawdust you know it's yeah. You got all the, you know, the MR2 is worth well over £100,000 probably more close to the 150 grand mark yeah but we were there and it's just like we're all arse hanging out the trousers you know <laughs> oil all over us yeah. like whatever it is takes to get that car up the strip we'll do it 
and I just love that aspect of it. Yeah. I love getting my hands dirty and having this like gratification of what you put into it, you get out of it. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the fact I drive it, I just love I love every aspect of it. It's quite a tough sport in that you know it breaks more than it runs. Yeah. And you know we spent a lot of time over, I spent a lot of time over winter making it better and I went to the drag strip for the week for the first time and second run broke the engine. I'm like, oh, man, please. If I have to take this engine out of this car one more time, I don't <laughs> yeah, know what I'm going to do. Have a, getting PTSD. going to have a breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then today I was working on it and I've got, you know, you have to put it to one side and say, you know what, just leave it and then when you're ready you go back to yeah, it and yeah. you build it again. And You know, I'm very time constricted. I can't use my evenings because I'm my little boy. So, have to sort of factor it all in but because someone's taken my record I'm keen to get back out then there's no doubt that my car is the most advanced MR2 out there mm. and you know the Americans they can go to the track every night of the week yeah they have great weather they have unlimited access whereas we are you know it either rains or yeah, you know always restrictions. super super busy yeah so I'm around our 8.3 it's just an off-the-cuff run yeah. um so it's the race to the sevens now and and there's quite a few cars out there that can do it but i'm pretty so, sure that once i've done it i've buried it i don't think i want to get caught what was the the record lowered to eight so i did an 8.31 i think he did an 8.25 okay so, so hundreds yeah yeah so you're not looking at yeah. tenths you're looking no at... no we for sure can i'm certain actually that even in the, its guys last year when we did 8.307 was in it and we've we've got another 100 horsepower now yeah it's not just a case of had a hundred horsepower going. Yeah, it's getting it off faster. the line and yeah, it's not break the gearbox, not have wheel spin, not break the drive shaft. Yeah, yeah, not bog it. So, are the guys? It, so I remember you said a while back that um, you know you don't run a wheelie bar on it, mm. which I just think is completely psychotic. Like, <laughs> are the other guys that are breaking the records running a wheelie bar, or is it kind of is that in a regulation that you have to run the same as what? No, there is no regulation. It's a bit of an unwritten rule. It's just kind um, of a respect, yeah. respectful kind of... At the moment, someone puts wheelie bars on our level, everyone has to do it. Yeah. To accept this, you know, just say, ignore that car. Yeah. There is one MR2 out there with wheelie bars and, you know, 60 foot, the first 60 foot of the drag strip is everything is done there. If you get a good 60 foot, every tenth you find in the 60 foot is three tenths. Yeah, by the time you get to the end. By the time end. you get to yeah. the end. Yeah, and he's cutting a 1.2 60 foot, which we're all doing like 1.3, 1.4. Really? So he should be a lot quicker, but he's not got the the rest of the car underneath him too. Yeah. But at one point he's going to come and at that point do we put wheelie bars on it? I probably won't to be honest. You said, well, you said to me a while back you were just like I, I think that's cheating. Yeah it's it is. It's kind of giving yourself a get out of jail free, free card if you have a... It, you can look at it so many ways and you know I, I'm I'm called a bit of a cheater because I've got a sequential well, it's a H-pack gearbox but a sequential shifter and they're like oh man you, you're not you're not banging gears H, H-pack style it's like well yeah but that's because I want to Go first, second, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Reason. I could bang a H pad as fast as anybody as, as a sequential, but so like that's my I accept that it's sequential, but other people don't. I run ethanol, some people don't like that. I run yeah. slicks, and it's like every level you're going to get some kind of criticism for your car. But I think the the wheelie bars is the one where you really are kind of everyone underwrites. Yeah, it. the respect is yeah. not gone, but it's it's not it, you know stock chassis. Yeah, is what we call it. Stock, okay. stock chassis record. But yeah, you it's mad. Purchased a, another one though. Recently. Yeah, is it a funny car or it's it's not a funny car. It's well, it's pro mod. Pro mod, right? So that's um, what a second or so quicker, a couple of seconds quicker. It really depends on what motor you put in it, but you know that car could run a five Jesus seconds. Christ. That's getting serious when you end up running stuff like that. Like I mean, like eight seconds is serious. Yeah. Like that's kind of 
I mean, uh, the MR2 at the minute is, you know, I could probably take that engine out of the MR2, put it in, in this Pro Mod we've bought, and run a, a 7. Really? Uh, no, a 6, 6.9. Jesus. Because the chassis is designed, you know, the, the level yeah, yeah. of it, big tires. So long as well. You stand yeah. next to me, just like, my God. And, and this car is 118 inch wheelbase, which is huge in terms of drag car. Um, so you never need a wheelie box, you can pull a wheelie in it. Yeah. So it kind of gives you an idea of the limitations of the MR2, and we're going to hit that limitation pretty quickly, I think. You know, I, 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 no one said you could run a low eight, and we're doing it, but I would say you're going to get to high sevens, and, yeah. and, and then. You know, it's going to be would very you, difficult. Would do. you kind of get to a point with the MRT where you hit a time and then you're like, right, that's the end now, and then we move on to other things? Or I've got a view on the MRT where I I never want to get rid of it. Yeah. You know, everything on that car has been done by me or some aid. You know, for example, the wiring. I don't make wiring looms, but me and my friend made it together. Mm. We heat shrinked it. We did all. The, everything has been done. He even rubbed all the body it down. I was in the booth when it sprayed. So I've got a massive emotional attachment yeah, to it. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, it's probably cost me 150 grand. Mm. I'll probably sell it for 30. So yeah. Just yeah. keep it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm probably going to get to a point where I where I will just have some fun in it. I'll stop pushing it. It'll just be a bit of enjoyment. And, you know, I mentioned earlier on about the engine part business that we have. Yeah. And that is a prime example of race on Sunday, sell on Monday. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a direct relation of when we go out, we get sales. So it's a good marketing tool. Yeah. And it's just different. You know, it's people love it because it's so different. It cut from the colour to the noise it makes to the fact yeah. it wants to put wheels all the time. It gets a massive amount of attention. Um, it's awesome. It's but once awesome. once we've got there with it, I think we'll park it and then put a bit of attention to this Pro Mod. Yeah. Let's see where it goes. I mean, the Pro Mod I bought on a whim, it was cheap. And yeah. if I wanted to sell it tomorrow... I'd get my money back and more. Yeah. But I won't sell it. I'm Is it rolling chassis you bought? Yeah, yeah. So it needs a motor and gearbox. I'm deciding what to do. I actually I had a plan to put an M4 engine into it. Really? Yeah, we blew an engine up a couple of years back. And it's just sat in the corner of the workshop ever since. Pulled it apart over winter and the damage wasn't as bad as we expected. And I just thought, you know, if I do the original plan was to use the same engine out of the MR2 with a billet block. But it's kind of been done. Yeah, you know, all our all our marketing for that has been done, and you know what we're actually going to gain from doing that again is very small. Yeah, but if we did a BMW M4 engine and made it the fastest BMW engined car in the world, yeah, or M4 engine car in the world, we're going to get a massive amount of business. Yeah, there. that's got a lot, got a lot of back into it. It presents its own challenges in certain design issues, not issues, but it's not it's not like a conventional engine. You know, these old engines, you do the basic stuff to them. And it, it's quite straightforward, whereas this is all fancy, you know, variable cam lift, and yeah. X, Y, Z, direct port injection. So I've got to learn a lot about it. So it's probably going to be quite a bumpy road, but everything I do, I love, I love what the it's journey. About, yeah, yeah. I love the journey of, of, mm. of the whole process. And yeah, at, at the minute it's sat in the corner, I've not even touched it. In fact, I was looking at the engine today whilst doing some work on a Capri engine. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I really need to get that going. So that's next. That'd yeah. be good though. I'd be excited to see how that turns out. Yeah. It'll be uh, it's the same colour as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's fake really. Was that a complete like fluke or? Yeah, a friend of mine who does he's got a Toyota Celica. He does some drag racing. He sent me the link actually. It's a Toyota Supra. I've always wanted a Supra. I love those cars. Yeah, and it was purple, and it was just fake. It was just cheap, and I just yeah. thought, Do you know what? Why not? Screw it. Yeah, I sent, I sent it to my old man. He was like, oh, we need to get that. <laughs> and it was in Lithuania. It came from the car came from Lithuania. Really? Yeah, yeah. And it, 
it was one of those things where you sort of looked at it and, and I wanted it, but I thought, oh, it's in Lithuania and yeah, it's going to be difficult to get it here. And every time I sort of presented a problem to myself and I spoke to the guy, he's like, yeah, no problem. I'll get it to you for £400. I'm like, hang on a minute. What? You can deliver a car from <laughs> yeah. Lithuania for £400. I could get it from the Eastern Bloc over and I was like, <laughs> And then it's here. And I'm like, what on earth? It was, it was great. It was quite quite a fun thing to do, actually. And he's a great bloke and he's like on, on hand. So yeah. I've got a lot to learn about all that stuff. But yeah, he, he just, he, he's a little bit like me. He built that car and his he said it cost him a, a marriage because he basically, you know, built this car in a garage and after hours and um, around his normal work pattern and, he, you know, him and his partner split up over this car and, and basically he'd come to the point where he had no use for this car anymore but he didn't want to sell it because it was an emotional attachment. Yeah. Anyway, he got rid of it and he was like, that's my baby, you know, I, I want to help you get it fast and it's quite, I've built up quite a nice relationship with the guy. You need so. to get him to the first time you take it down the strip. I do, yeah. It's funny really, I mean, the guy that maps the MR2, I've never met him before, he lives in Norway yes. and I've never paid him a penny. He just loves being part of the, of the thing and that same thing, like, I'd love to get him when all these restrictions are lifted over to Santa Pod, you know, for a day with yeah. the car have a couple of days with me, you know, night on the beers. You just, it, it's like a little community that you don't know existed, you know, yeah. all around the world. You just Lovely. don't, you just don't see that as much anymore in the higher tier kind of, I say higher tier with like, like respectfully, I don't mean like the other stuff isn't, isn't serious racing. It's, it absolutely is. But, you know, as soon as you're jumping into like, I don't know, British GT or inter, intercontinental GT open or whatever, you know, single seaters and everything yeah. like that, everyone kind of, closes into their own bubble and it's 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 nice well like we were saying earlier about the pikes peak stuff and drag racing and the classic side of it you know everyone's in it purely because they yeah. just want to be there that and is very true uh, you know the enjoyment can be lost sometimes yeah. and i you know i do this job i don't do it for the, for the money yeah um, i do it because i love it and uh, have to enjoy it and there's been a couple of times where i've said you know i've had enough and and that's one thing i'll say to you know your credit and and, and gus's credit you know last year was probably one of the most enjoyable years I've ever had in Central Motorsport because mm. yeah, likewise. You know, if you have a great, A, if you have a fast driver, mm. which you and Gus both are, but B, if you have just nice people, yeah, makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah. And, and I loved it. You know, really lit a fire in my belly. Yeah. You know, obviously this year hasn't worked out, but I'm really hoping that we can do something no, in the future. I will sell a kidney and, <laughs> yeah, even chop off my head and sell that probably <laughs> if I can get <laughs> get money for that. But no, I'm resided. It will happen next year, 100. percent Yeah, likewise, mate. It was it, it was just a fantastic year, and it it was it was one of those circumstances where I had to go through the pain at the, at the beginning of the year to end up being in that position. Like you know, we, you know, obviously we weren't running together in the yeah. first two rounds, so it was a bit of it was one of those situations where kind of blessing in disguise really at the beginning of the beginning of the year yeah it's it happens you know and I, i've said to you in the past that i i completely have respect for people who want to step forwards and, and yeah. step because I, I you know people want to step into Janetta. everybody has to do it sooner or later up, you know and, yeah. you know it's how you sort of deal with that i suppose and you know some people don't make the step properly and and like yourself you had a bit of a challenging time and when you came to us, you sort of saw the benefit of it, which was nice, to be honest. But, you know, we were very quiet last year. Before COVID, we were, we I don't know why, mm. we'd grown exponentially. And all of a sudden, 2020, it just fell flat in its face. Yeah. You know, we were crying out for business and I fought super hard to get Gus. And I was so glad when I got him. And, you know, we'd done two rounds and we were like, we can win this championship. Yeah. Every bit of attention was on that car, on Gus, on making it happen. And obviously you came along mm. and I was like, oh, you know, I have to 
pursue it because it's business. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, but I was also thinking, oh, I really hope it doesn't upset the Apple car. I knew nothing about you. Yeah, yeah. And you could be a complete dick. <laughs> yeah. And it could, yeah. it could piss, I've been called that a couple of times. It, it, it could piss Mike and Gus off and, and then derail yeah. everything. But actually, it just worked so, so mm. well. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. Yeah, I remember the first the first time I met, uh, I met Gus. He said something like, "So to anyone who's listening or, or or watching, Gus was my teammate last year in Century Motorsport. Absolutely phenomenal driver, real talent for the future. Such a young kid as well. He was seventeen last year. Yeah. You know, winning races in Super Cup against guys that have done it for six, seven plus years, and you know, doing it fairly comfortably in in, in certain circumstances." So just enormously talented and you never really know how to take people, but I, I'm I'm a big believer in an initial impression is important mm. and don't lie on an initial impression. So be yourself and if yeah. people don't like it, well at least you know. And he I can't remember what it was, but I think we were walking into the garage. Yeah, he walked in, he's so Gus is six foot what, three? Six foot yeah, four. I think, six yeah. foot three, six foot four. He walks in and just went, You're right, long man. <laughs> and he kinda of looked at me and I went bit of a forehead that isn't it because <laughs> he just looked at and then he just burst out laughing yeah. like that and it was, I, I was like from that moment i was like yeah we're going to be absolutely no issues whatsoever don't get that with everyone though no um, i mean we our, our ethos within central motorsport is um you know we want to do everything right mm. we want to win we're focused yeah. on winning but we want to have a good time at the same yeah. time and 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 your ethos and, and gus's ethos was all the same it just yeah. gelled you know we, we get shit done yeah we have a good time doing it of course there was tension times in the season that's what yeah. happens when you go racing it's a pressurised environment but you know the overriding factor was we had great results mm. and we had a lot of fun and we've made friends you know yeah, and, yeah. and I love that and it doesn't you know you don't you'd be naive to expect that to happen with every every customer you run some people are very very different mm. some people do it because they just want to do it because they want to have fun some yeah. people do it just because they want to make a career out of it and there's no fun aspect um, so when you get to people who have a bit of both it's nice yeah. to grasp that I think that was absolutely key what you said about um oh, excuse me. God, beer going through me. <laughs> nice. I'm about to sanitize you could have this. Belched thing. it really loud. <laughs> yeah, everyone oh. said, yeah, have some of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, nice. But uh, that was one of the key things for me was it, it's very, very rare in at least in my opinion, I may be wrong, you know, happens pretty frequently as my wife will remind me of. <laughs> One of the big things for me is it's very, very rare to get a race team that, because for me, if I go racing with someone, I put my trust in someone, I almost naturally have to get to know them personally a little bit because I, I want to know the person that I'm putting my trust and faith in, whether or not that's a mechanic or team boss like yourself or, you know, a teammate or whoever. And I've often found that the, the the area that goes wrong is when you do end up mates with the people so they're then slack yeah and it's like i'm like slack's a, a strong word but quite frankly it's pretty accurate yeah you know you get to the stage where everyone's mates and then it all of a sudden you know you have an honest conversation mm. about something which is work related as in racing related and something that shouldn't be happening and it's like or whoa, what you know? What, what personal? And, it, and it's like yeah. no, there is a difference. There's the professional side, yeah. and there's the the friendly side, and that is absolutely key. And that that's the first time that I went to a team where it was like that, where the professionalism was without question, and it was never an issue. But then we still had a good time, and I knew where the line was. I think that's a good point, actually, and it's something that in older times I probably resented the fact someone people would say it's a family team. 
and yeah, I'd, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of that kind of. I I didn't like it. You know, I always try to push myself away from it. You know, we have to be super professional. We have to be, you know. It has to be insular, um, mm. and actually, no. I'm going. I'm not. I'm not saying we're coming to We we'll, we are a professional race team, mm. but I have to. You are dead right. You have to have this relationship. And, yeah. You know, it's so important for a driver, having been with myself, to look at your mechanic in the eye and know that he's done those wheel nuts yeah. up, yeah, yeah, or know that that setting has been done right. Know that the car's in good health, and you know, for for me, there's a few real key factors of running a race team. Is you know, we need continuity. You know, driver has to have the same mechanic within reason as, as often yeah, as yeah. possible. Yeah. Sometimes it's not possible, but at that point, we assure them that it's a, a known member of staff, mm. not just a guy pulled up the street. You know, we have to be professional about it. And yes, it's hard not to get close to people because you know you're living in this bubble together yeah. for the weekends, and it's like ten weekends a year, or eight weekends a year, whatever it is. But you have to maintain that level of you know respect and understand that you are being paid to do a job. You know sometimes you have to swallow some bullshit. That's that's life. But you know, I've seen I, a bit of that. <laughs> we have to just keep on our toes. And I always say, you know, one thing I say to the guys: if we ever have, you know, we always have weeks where sometimes it's a bit messy or there's mm. you know a bit on the car which I don't quite like. And I say, look, guys, you know, simple way of looking at it is: you're a multi-millionaire and you've got your 200 grand race car with this race team and you're driving down the M40 and you want to just turn in and say hello and you've not let them know you want to know that when you're walking that workshop your 200 grand race car is being kept in its incubation area yeah, yeah. completely clean mm. everything's organised it looks like a, a, a workshop that can you know deserves to have these cars in and yeah. likewise when you get to the track you know you turn up and you, you're Aston Martin and BMW's got like the dog-eared vinyl everywhere you know, that's not what people want to see yeah, and yeah. when I say that to them it really dials them into it yeah 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 because it's so easy to sometimes be at the cold face and miss you know mechanically it's perfect but a little bit of this that and the other doesn't look quite right yeah yeah and and we have to remind ourselves that all the time because it's it's so important for you guys if you turn up and you see your car's a little bit dog-eared mm. you know you pull the bonnet off it and there's the nice aluminium shocks are all dirty you think well have they actually done anything to this yeah, car yeah 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 and that's where I do believe we stand apart from some teams. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah. And it gives you a bit of confidence and it just remains professional. I've never been so confident in a race car before, uh, ever. Um, and it was, it, that, that was a really, a really unique position, I suppose, for me, for me to be in because at the beginning of the year, because the results are so poor and the pace was so bad, you question yourself naturally. Mm. You start to think, and I was been told by people in my previous team, well, you're not giving us the right feedback. Mm. You know, we're not. You're not saying this. You're not saying that. And you know, I was just like Jesus. Well, maybe I've 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 made too big a step, yeah. and you know, maybe this is is not the right. And you, you question everything, and that it kind of got to the stage where I saw a couple of things that I didn't like. You know, it doesn't help when the fire extinguisher pin gets left in the car. You know, on a, on a very very hot day. And, and then yeah exactly and that and that was pretty much the nail in the coffin from that point and it was it, you know that's irrefutable from whatever from yeah. whatever position you're in uh, and the very very last conversation that we had in that I don't, you know I, I still respect these guys you know they're, they're nice people but the very very last conversation i had was changing teams won't make you any faster had yeah. q p2 at alton park yeah. and i went across the line i just went fuck you <laughs> like straight, straight across the line like do you know what it, it's one of it's one of the worst things you can say, I think, to a driver maybe that has a similar mindset like myself or yeah. 
someone along those lines is to kind of say that's because they just take it as a motivational factor. I think it's, I mean, we've had situations before we've lost drivers. Every team has, you know, some people you don't gel with. Some people you don't supply the right service to. You know, we've been there before and, you know, and I'm very, very diplomatic person. In fact, I'm on on my own worst enemy. I'm not the person who'll sit there and say, oh, well, you know, we did everything right and they're shit or, you know, whatever. You know, if I feel like I failed them, you know, I'm very hard on myself and I will do anything I can to make it right. That is rare, though. That is very, very rare. I think it is rare. You know, but it is the team owner's biggest fear, losing a driver and then going off to another team and blowing the doors off it. Mm. Yeah, you know, going super fast, and it is the old adage: a new brush always sweeps cleaner. So a new start, you know, yeah, met different different mindset. Probably a, they are going to drive a little bit better, but yeah, I, I can see where they came from. But unfortunately, oh, I'm I'm a great believer in you. You get out what you put in, and um, I think it's, that was probably a prime it, example of it. It's happened before, you know. Go, drivers leave and go to different teams and go no quicker or slower. Yeah. Another way to describe it is. There are many, many different ways to getting lap time out of a car. There's car prep, mm. there's driver coaching and performance, there's also driver confidence. People underestimate how much of a difference that makes. You know, when you're when you're just turning around and saying, Oh, that'll do, mm. or that's you know, that doesn't count, or you know, that won't make you any faster, don't worry about it, or you know, well, car looks a bit dirty, but it's fine, we've spanner checked it. That makes a difference. Mm. You know, that all has a factor. That was some of the biggest things that, you know, the psychological side of it is, you know, I'm quite strong, you know, mentally wise, you know, if, if, if I'm off the pace or anything, it's very, very rare, especially with you guys, that I tend to turn around and go, oh shit, there's something wrong with the car. Yeah. I knew last year it wasn't the car. It was never the car. It was always me to the extent where, I mean, we had pace issues at Croft, like, you know, practice, quality, and you're just like, Jay, you need to sort your shit out. And I'm like, good. yeah, I need to sort my shit out. And then we, I mean, we even at one stage went away from setup. Mm you know, to make it a little bit more pliable and give me a little bit more feeling in the car. And then eventually when I started doing what I was told in race three, you put the original setup back on it and we yeah. were we were back on it. Yeah, I think running with the, with the right people who were telling you the right things, honestly, is is key. Yeah, yeah, you know I'm a big fan, mate, so you don't need to um, don't convince me otherwise. <laughs> well, thank you. It, it just touched on your point about the psychology side of it, it's huge. You know, I've... I've... You know, in my karting days, there was one time where I was invincible. You know, no matter where I started, I won the race. It got to the point where there was Gary Cat, who was an extremely successful karter. Yeah, you know, he was doing seniors, and I was in the same team doing juniors, and we were like, we were just, we were just winning everything. And I <laughs> sat on that grid before I started, and it's like I knew I was going to win. Mm. Nothing was going to stop me. Yeah, yeah. And then I've sat on the grid before, and I'm like, right. He's coming, you know, it's going to be three or four laps before he yeah, yeah. me. Yeah. I'm never going to catch him. He's really, really quick. And it's like you're beaten before you go out. Yeah, yeah. And to get yourself in that headspace is quite hard. And that's one thing we focus on in Century a lot is just getting the driver into the right headspace. And it, it, it's not like we make a point of doing it. Mm. I think it's just something where we set the environment mm. so that it's a nice environment to be in. Yeah. We don't overload with data. You know, if I can see a driver really doing something wrong, I'm not, you know, harsh on him mm. um, constructive and I, I think that just helps you know so, some drivers are mentally very very weak some drivers are mentally very very strong and it's just finding mm. what works and, 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 and getting that right and I'd go as far as to say that 80% in, in what we do in the, in the Genetas particularly 80% is mental yeah, and yeah, 20% yeah. probably is set up yeah. you know you, could, you probably could put the back wheels on the front and the Genetta and, and drag the same kind of lap time out of it maybe mm. not as easy 
but yeah, just getting someone in the right headspace makes just makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thoroughly agree with you. So obviously, we had a conversation about Christ. How long was this? Maybe about six months ago, about the whole racing minds idea, and you know something I've been working on for well the last two years odd now. But what kind of attracted you to supporting racing minds, and, and what kind of brought you into the fold, like you know motorsport for mental health wise? Um, I mean, I've always been somebody who has been very supportive of things like this, you know, charities, not just in racing, it just in gen- general life, good things. You know, honestly speaking, when I got to know you and obviously your history and the way you look at things, it was when you asked me to be involved in it, I just, you know, would love to be so because it's for a good cause. You know, it's raising awareness and I I understand it because I've obviously become your friend basically. Yeah. Racing friend. Yeah. Well, it's it, it's nice. Yeah. So you know. Yeah, yeah. I know. You could be completely unaware of these things that go on, mm. and um, until you're involved firsthandly with it. So yeah, of course I'd love to be involved in it. Yeah, yeah. No, we're we're looking forward to working closer together with you, mate. To be honest, I mean it's we've got some exciting things on the horizon with you know things that I've mentioned to you before, which when we go offline, we'll we'll probably chat a little bit more about, but. It's going to be mega, and then yeah, obviously most people know the plans for next year. Mm. So, you know that's a big, a big, big focus, and then that obviously has its has its benefits. You know we can get beneficiaries along for those kind of events as well. So, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. The big aim that I'd like to get a lot of the racing minds beneficiaries across to some events this year and come and meet yourself and and the guys and be based as a almost like the century guys yeah. within um, within the charity. Yeah, so I'm I'm really really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. I think, to be honest, you know, a lot of people want to be involved in this sort of stuff. Mm. And, you know, I think that it's really got legs what you're doing. You know, everyone, I don't speak to a lot of people, but, you know, for example, Mike, Gus's dad, you know, yeah. he, he thinks it's such a fantastic idea. And, it, you know, for, for what, in reality, for what what we're doing to help you with it at the, at the race weekend, mm. it's such a small thing. Yeah. So at least we but can it makes really. a massive difference. That's, it's such that's a, the thing. Like, the, th- the thing is, is like for us as a charity, it's... The things where, you know, ideally you guys, you know, people like yourself or, you know, our other partners, British GT, you know, Janetta Simtrack, you know, whoever it is, the guys that can give us time and or services for effectively no cost to them, but make a big difference to us, you know, that those are the perfect kind of partnerships. So, you know, and the guys will love it. I I know they'll love it because I love it and I'm a, I'm a a literally living product of the, the process that works. So it's yeah i think it's going to be good sometimes it's easy to you know certainly from from where i'm sitting to probably take for granted the benefits and luxuries we have you know yeah. what we do it, it's not money can't buy but you know it's quite difficult to access oh, yeah. um yeah, you know, this level of behind the scenes stuff and you know it's easy to forget what we do is quite high profile very high profile uh, and you are right that you know what we would consider not a lot you know, to mm. get somebody into the garage and some hospitality and yeah. walk around the car and whatnot, you know they can't get that normally. So it's easy to underestimate it. But no, you know, as I said, it's it is for a great cause, and you know, hopefully, it's uh, they enjoy it. Yeah, yeah no, I I absolutely know they will, mate. Yeah, it it won't even be a question of if they'll enjoy it. It'll be when can they come back? Yeah. <laughs> so no, yeah, absolutely no. But I can't thank you enough for you know helping us out this this oh, year sorry. and obviously into the future, mate. And. Yeah, it's been awesome having you on and thanks very much for your time. I know, I know this is like 
peak busy <laughs> busy season for you at the moment so getting you over is uh, obviously tough times but you know we appreciate it nonetheless not at all it's nice to be here and it's nice just to chill out a little bit yeah. a couple of drinks and uh, have a catch them, so thank you a couple of drinks we'll probably have a few more in a bit yeah. <laughs> yeah. no thanks mate we're going to uh, sign off guys but Nathan Freak at Century Motorsport thank you very much for your time thank you cool.